Storehouse Dallas. There's a lot of different places we can go tonight, and so we're just going to see where the Holy Spirit wants to take us. And, um, you know, I, I just want to tell you how much I enjoy being here with you guys. And, of course, how much I enjoy just being with John and with Tracy and the amazing team. We spent a couple hours today here just, just sharing heart and connecting and talking about how we can all grow and become better. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes we just feel like, you know, like that sometimes when we, when, when, we, when we get saved, that there's just some sort of just magic switch that all of a sudden, you know, everything that Jesus did, we know becomes ours. But how many of you know you still have a responsibility to cultivate what you've been given? And a lot of times there's, there, there are things in our life that God is wanting us to walk through and walk into that can be hot in the moment. Amen. But it's in those hot moments that we're refined and we become more like him in the process. And so I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. Last time I was here, I got to be here for the Father's Blessing. We got to dedicate uh, Storehouse and dedicate this amazing facility to the Lord and, and shared then about the nine phases of prophetic pregnancy. And so I'm so excited with, uh, with what Tracy and the team are gonna be teaching tomorrow in terms of, of how to really move from promise to fulfillment. You know, to move through that place of preparation, to move in that place of not just receiving a word, but becoming the word recognizing that when the word becomes fruitful, there's often a pruning in our life that happens. But after that time of pruning, we come into a place called promotion. How many of you love promotion? You know what comes with promotion? Persecution. Yeah. And then right after persecution, you come into a place of provision for your promise being unlocked. And then right after that, all of a sudden you come into a place of pressing. Hallelujah. And then after that place of pressing, we come into a place called promise. And what's so amazing as I was looking at these two trees up here, I was thinking, of course, about, uh, which by the way, isn't this just amazing, these trees? I mean, whoever did these, you're awesome. Can we just thank the Lord whoever, for whoever did that? Just awesome. And so I was looking at those two trees and I was just, I was just thinking about what it, what it looks like to, to walk in, in, in a continual fruitfulness. What does it look like to walk in not just, uh, uh, just a, 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 a season of promise, but a life of promise, that we could walk in the full manifestation of what God has for each and every one of us? How many of you want that? Yeah. Amen? You know, somebody that I know who does that is John Eckert. Amen? John, you know, John and I got to spend some time today too, just away from the group. And, 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 you know, one of the things that always so blesses me about John is how positive he always is and, and just, and just how well he speaks of everyone and everything. How many of you know that is an, that is an amazing quality in the kingdom, but it's just an amazing quality in life. It's actually one of the attributes of love to believe the best, to see the best, and to endure all. Amen? And so how many of you are thankful for, for fathers and mothers like John and Tracy? Come on, let's thank the Lord for them. Amen. Hallelujah. And um, so let's do this. We're going to go ahead and jump into Zechariah 4. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to see where the Lord wants to take us. Because like I said, I've got a lot of different ways we could end up. So, Father... In the name of Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for this amazing, amazing family. God, we thank you, Lord, for this amazing place. Lord, that just like Bethel in the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was a gate of heaven set up in the earth. God, I thank you that storehouse is a heavenly gate in Dallas. 
And so, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for keys tonight to begin to unlock doors, to begin to open up windows, and to begin to position ourselves within the portal of your grace and your glory so that we could become the word that you've given to us. Lord, that we would not just wait for a coming promise, but we would recognize that today is the day of salvation and now is the time of favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Zechariah chapter four, verse 11. It says in verse 11, he says, I answered, excuse me, back one up to verse 10. And uh, one of the things that's awesome, shoot, go ahead and back one up to verse one, just because the Bible's amazing, amen. And then that way we can all just say Zerubbabel and Tracy will be happy and we can all go home. Hallelujah. You can, listen, I, you could tell, like, I, I remember when Tr- Tracy and I first got together and all of a sudden we started talking about Zerubbabel and she saw how my Bible was marked up on Zerubbabel and she was like, oh yeah, we're, we're together for life. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just that same spirit. But Zechariah 4.1, it says, the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking, and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it on the, se- on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. He said, these, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. He so answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So when did he say that he was going to know that this promise was from God? After. He said, you're going to recognize this was me after it happens. Don't you love that? And so oftentimes we try to measure what God is doing by what we can see in the moment instead of being able to live with the end in mind. And one of the things that I want to talk to you about tonight is how to move from your dream to your destiny how to walk through a place called until. Because what I feel like God has given me to share with you tonight and to impart in this place is what I call the oil of until. The anointing that moves us in a place of breakthrough from dream to destiny. Verse 10, for who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now, what are these, what are these eyes looking for? Second Chronicles 16.9 tells us that these eyes, the eyes of the Lord are searching for what? Hearts that are completely his. Hearts that are loyal so that God can show himself strong on our behalf. That word strong there actually means that he could attach himself to a people, to a place, and to a thing. How many of you want God to not just be in you, but on you? That's what he's saying. He's looking for loyal hearts that he cannot just be in, but be in and upon. 
And that's, that's the whole purpose of the anointing. It says in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord was upon me because he had anointed me. Amen. And so I'm, I'm so thankful for the the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation that begins to regenerate us from the inside out. But how many of you know you need more than just regeneration? You also need a manifestation to bring others into a demonstration to where you can begin to see what's in heaven and begin to release it here in the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. So these eyes are looking to and fro throughout the earth. Then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered, he answered me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And the word there for anointed ones literally is sons of fresh oil. Sons of fresh oil. It says in Psalm 92 that it says that God has exalted my horn like a wild ox. Amen? He has anointed me with fresh oil. What does it look like to be anointed with fresh oil? Well, it looks like, it looks like an ox-like anointing. Proverbs 14.4 says, "'Much increase comes by the strength of an ox.'" What does a wild ox do? Anything they want. <laughs> Amen. And what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to move you out of a place of limitation into a place that you recognize that God and the promise that he has given to you is limitless. The prophecies you've been given, the promises you've been given, they're not just an end, they're actually a new beginning. They're not the totality of what God wants to do. They're just the next step that he's wanting to bring you into because his word is a lamp unto your feet and it's a light unto your path. So we all need the oil of, an, uh, uh, the oil of until. We need the anointing for breakthrough, amen? How many of you ever felt like you were in a place where you were just kind of hemmed in, hemmed in on all sides? You know, you, you, just, you, you, you knew you needed to move forward, but you didn't know how you were gonna do it. Well, that's where breakthrough comes in. Micah 2.13 talks about the Lord as the breaker. It says, when he breaks open, we all break out. Amen? And so your breakthrough has a name. Your breakthrough is Jesus. 2 Samuel chapter 5, David finds himself in a place where he's being revisited by the Philistines. And of course, the Philistines, you know, David remembered the last time he fought the Philistines when he fought against Goliath. And, and how many of you remember it, it, when David faced Goliath, it, it wasn't just a fight one-on-one, -on -one, but he was fighting for an entire nation. He was fighting for his generation and generations to come. And so when the Philistines begin to threaten him again, David, being a man after God's own heart, recognized that he wasn't called to react or respond in the same spirit, but he was called to return to the stronghold, amen? And as he returned to the stronghold, as he inquired of the Lord saying, God, what should I do? Because how many of you know, listen, when you're coming up against a giant, you need a word from God. It was in the valley of Rephim in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that these Philistines began to try to come against David. And the valley of Rephim simply it means the valley of terrible ones and the valley of giants. And so he went from fighting one giant to being in a valley of giants. 
being in a place where he was surrounded on all sides by really big opposition. He needed breakthrough. But how was it that David brought down Goliath? What was it that David took Goliath down with? Okay, some people say sword. That is how he cut off his head. Some people say stone in a sling, and that's true in part. But I want to tell you, it's not the complete picture, although we've taught it for many years. What brought down, what brought down Goliath was the word of God. Because when David faced Goliath, he didn't, he didn't pick up just a sling and a stone, but he began to prophesy the word of the Lord over Goliath. And he wasn't prophesying the blessing. He was prophesying the curses of disobedience in Deuteronomy 28. He wasn't prophesying that he'd be blessed in the field and blessed in the city. He wasn't prophesying that the windows of heaven would be open. He wasn't, promi- he wasn't prophesying that one would come against him one way and flee seven ways before his face. No, that, those are blessings that belong to the obedient. He began to speak to him the curses of disobedience and defying the living God. And so it wasn't the stone that brought down the giant. It was the word that brought down Goliath. The stone was simply the vehicle that took it from David's mouth to Goliath's head. Because all matter has memory, and all memory matters. See, that's the whole, that's the whole principle in Ezekiel 37. Again, when you're as a prophetic voice, Ezekiel 37, <clears throat> Ezekiel is brought into a valley of what? Dry bones. God said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? He said, oh, God, only you know. What he was saying was, oh, man, you don't want my answer right now. When God asks you a question, he's not looking for your answer. When God asks you a question, the smartest thing you can do is ask him a question. When he asks you a question, he's actually inviting you into a place of revelation if you have the willingness and understanding to go there. And so when God asked Ezekiel, saying, can these bones live? He said, oh, God, only you know. He goes on to speak to him and begin to give him a fresh perspective of what he sees. Because the prophetic sees the unseen and begins to speak as God says. And as we speak as God says, we begin to see as we say. And so he begins to speak. And this is what he says. He said, he prophesied to the bones and he said to the bones, hear the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, that's crazy. Do bones have ears? Yes, they do. Do stones have ears? Yes, they do. Do promises have ears? Yes, they do. The ear, listen, everything that we've been given in life, everything that we're a steward over has the ability to hear and respond. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says that God, hold, God, God speaks to, through Moses and he says, listen, I hold heaven and earth as a witness against you. What does a witness do? Testifies of what it's seen and heard. I hold heaven and earth as a witness against you, blessing or curses, life or death, you choose. Guess what? All of those are things that we speak. He said, you choose, choose life so you and your descendants may live. And so one of the things I want you to recognize tonight in this prophetic conference is your promise has ears. It may look like a dry bone, but I want to tell you, when you begin to see as God sees and speak as God speaks, that dry bone can all of a sudden become part of a great army. And God is wanting to bring bring the dry bones out of the valley of barrenness, out of the valley of giants, to where they can begin to stand together, partner with one another, and in that place become a victorious army of God in and through this city. 
Amen. See, it's not just about people in the army of God. It's also an army of promise. As we all begin to prophesy to the bones of what's been said, we all of a sudden begin to see my promise begin to connect with your promise, and your promise connect with her promise, and her promise connect with his promise, and then all of a sudden, promise begins to march through the streets again. But oftentimes, in this process of promise, there can be what looks like delay. Amen? And when it looks like delay, in fact, I'm gonna, uh, Psalm 105 is one of my favorite passages. Psalm 105 in the New King James says in verse 17, it said, He sent a man before them, Joseph, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until, until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house or father of his house and ruler or master of his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Let me read it to you in uh, the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation, verse 17, it said, but he had already sent a man ahead of his people to Egypt. And I want to tell you, listen, God always sends a man. He always sends a woman into a place before they're needed. He begins to plant them in a place, and oftentimes they're planted as the answer, the present answer to a past prayer. You see, you're not here by mistake, God has pre-appointed, it says in Acts 17, that he pre-appoints our, our, our boundaries, our dwelling places, amen, our times and seasons in God. And you have to recognize that you're not just a sojourner that happens to be coming through Dallas, but the righteous man's steps are ordered by the Lord, and if he has ordered your steps to be here for such a time as this, then you need to say, God, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing in this time and in this season, because I don't want to just fill space in my until moment. See, because oftentimes we get a dream, and in the getting of the dream, there can be the appearance of delay that sometimes can feel depressing. And in that place, we have a choice whether or not to worry and back up or to worship and move forward. Worry and worship both start the same way. W-O-R. You can't control what comes at you, but you can control how you respond in the midst of it. And so oftentimes when life comes at us, we have a choice whether or not we're going to keep our heart right. And one of the ways we keep our heart right is staying in a posture of worship. Like John was saying today about just staying in a place of thanksgiving and just a a focus on the goodness of God. But one of the things that you see in terms of worry, the word worry literally means to divide your heart into pieces and to give pieces of it away. And so when you begin to worry, you're actually dividing your heart. And how many of you know, God says he's looking for a heart that's whole. He's looking for hearts that are loyal so he can show himself strong, right? And so the enemy's tactic is to get your heart to be disloyal, to become divided through worry, through anxiety, depositing parts of your heart here and there and everywhere, but where it matters most, in that place of worship, in that place of coming before the Lord. But he had already sent a man ahead of his people to Egypt. It was Joseph who was sold as a slave. His feet were bruised by strong shackles, and his soul was held by iron. God's promise to Joseph purged his character, 
purged his character until it was time for his dreams to come true. And so oftentimes we can be in a place where we're given a dream and in the process of being given the dream and waiting for the manifestation of that dream to come to pass, there is what's called purging of character so that our character can support our call. Genesis chapter 37, we're given this awesome introduction to the life of Joseph. Jacob, also known as Israel, Genesis 37, it says that Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his sons. So he was favored by his father. Amen? How many of you know that you are favored by your father? One of my prophetic fathers, Bob Jones, used to always say that he was God's favorite. And then when I would leave his house, he's like, don't forget, you're his favorite too. We always have to see ourselves as God's favorite, just like John saw himself as the one that Jesus loved. Because how you see he sees you will determine how you portray yourselves to others. Numbers chapter 13, Moses sends 10, 12 spies to spot the lamb. 10 come back talking about the giants, two come back talking about the grapes. 10 come back talking about how weak they are in the face of the other strength. The other two come back talking about how great God is. The 10 said we were as grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in theirs. The other two said, wait a minute, no, no, no. If God is pleased with us, he will cause us to enter in. You see the difference there? The 10 were going by what they saw. The two were going by what he said. We walk by faith what he says, not by sight what we see. They came back to the promise. The 10 were distracted by the problem. What happened in that situation that happens for so many as they began to see themselves wrongly. And as they said, they saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight, and so we were in theirs. The truth is what you perceive about yourself, what you perceive about your situation, what you perceive about those that you're in covenant relationship with, what you perceive about your pastors, your church, your job, your wife, whatever it may be, your dream, whatever you perceive, you will project. And what you project, you will attract. When those 10 began to speak out of that place of fear, when they began to start speaking out of their weakness, guess what they attracted? Weak and fearful people. And what did they want to do? They wanted to stone the two who actually walked in faith. It said that they actually sought to stone Joshua and Caleb. And oftentimes you will be criticized for your audacious faith. And you cannot allow the criticism of others as it relates to your faith to keep you from saying what God says. Because he's looking for a people that are willing to not just talk about the promise, but give his word a voice and lead a people into a place called promise. That's what this house is, is, is really founded on. It's, yes, it's, it's storehouse church, but this is a place of promise. This is, not a, this is not a place of wilderness. This is a place of milk and honey. Amen. This is a place of great big grapes. Amen. This is a place where dreams, not only, not only do people dream, but dreams come to pass. However, in the process of a dream coming to pass, just like a woman conceiving a child and having to carry that child full term before she can deliver and bring to birth what she's called to carry, how many of you know there's a window called until? There is a place from when she conceives 
until she gives birth. And oftentimes, dreams are like that. And so we're introduced to this, this beginning of until season in Joseph's life as, it, it, as, as we're, we're introduced with Jacob and the favor of the father that was upon Joseph. And see, what's interesting about this was not only was he fathered by his favor, not only was he favored by his father and fathered by favor, but he was also gifted. He was gifted. He was gifted a coat of many colors. And how did Joseph steward his gift? Ooh, look at me. Hey, brothers, you check out my coat? Come on now. Bet you wish you had a coat. You ain't got no coat. You know why? I'm his favorite. Joseph was 17. We've all been 17. You remember what it was like when you were 17? You're an idiot. I don't even have to have known you. I just know. You were an idiot then. Because you didn't have the lessons of life to tutor you through times of trouble to bring you into a place of transformation. You see, it said that the, the word of the Lord purged Joseph's character. And the word character in the Greek literally means to be tried by fire and to come out on the other side. Character is what comes out on the other side of the fire. Amen? And see, Joseph, he started, out, he started off favored. How many of you are favored? Started off gifted. How many of you are gifted? But he also started off dumb. How many of you are dumb? No. I've got to lighten it up in here. Amen? And, uh, and if you need to put some more back on this, I just wanted to take a word feeding, feeding back on us, Bubba. And so if you need to put some more on it, you can. But um, anyway, the, um, so Joseph was in this place where he was misusing his gift. He was flaunting his gift instead of serving with his gift. How many of you know, listen, it says in Proverbs 18 that your gift will make room for you before great men. But how you steward your gift by serving in times when your gift is recognized and serving when it's not recognized is actually what determines the room your gift makes. I see people all the time, they'd be like, you know, pastor, you know, I'm, I'm called to be a prophet. I'm like, really? It's awesome. Who told you this? And nobody did. And or maybe, you know, they got some prophetic word from, you know, whatever, she get about by hallelujah. The, um, and, and what they're saying is, you should let me preach. And what I'm saying is, you need to work in the parking lot. Like, can you drive a golf cart? Because if you can't drive a golf cart and give somebody a two-minute word from their car to my door, you certainly can't carry my pulpit for 45 minutes. Amen. And see, we're always looking for the destination and never the process that's going to bring the dream to pass. Are you with me? And so oftentimes, so Joseph's given this, this great dream. And, and this dream, of course, you know, that his brothers are going to bow like sheaves of wheat between, you know, before his shaft of wheat. And, and the sun and the moon are going to bow and his mom and his dad. And he's like, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to wear my coat. You guys are all going to bow to me and tell me how amazing I am. And they're looking at him going. And he's like, y'all don't think this is great? You don't think it's going to be amazing that you're going to bow to me and serve me? And the problem was he had a dream from God, but he didn't have the character for the calling. Your dream, your dream will speak to your calling. Your destiny will speak to your purpose. But how many of you know your destiny has a destination? 
It's a land of inheritance. It's a place that you have to come into where your dream can then come to pass. And we all know the story. Joseph, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he's coming to go, his, his dad, Jacob, sends him to go check on his brothers. He goes, hey, look, go check on your brothers. Now, his brothers were in their 40s, all right? He's saying, go check on your brothers and just see if they need anything. He's 17. He can't do anything for them. That was Jacob trying to say, man, if I wonder if I can just get these guys to play together. You ever done that with your kids? Hey, just go check on your brother. You're actually like hoping they'll like pick up a basketball and have a good time. Hallelujah. You're not telling them really to go check. You're trying to create an opportunity for connection and relationship. And Jacob was trying to do that. Well, Joseph, it said, was still afar off. He was just coming near his brothers. And as he's drawing near his brothers, they begin to talk saying, look, here comes that dreamer. Here comes that guy who thinks he's favored, gifted, thinks we're gonna be bowing to him. Let's get him. Let's kill him. And so as he gets closer, they're having this plot and they're, they're plotting to, to kill him. They're plotting to, you know, to, to, you know we're gonna go ahead and just kill a goat and, you know, and, and do the whole deal. And, and, and Reuben, the firstborn, Reuben, he says, I got a better idea. Instead of us hurting him and killing him, let's just throw him in a pit. And Reuben had planned in his heart going, hey, look, I'm gonna just kind of you know, appease their anger for a moment. We'll throw him in the pit. I'll come back and get him. Once the brothers have gone on, it'll be okay. And so what happened was Joseph gets thrown in the pit. As Joseph gets thrown in the pit, how many of you know, all of a sudden, I bet he, get, he began to doubt his dream. And when you fall into a low place in life, all of a sudden, doubts about your dream begin to knock on your door. And it's there, you have to keep yourself encouraged. You have to strengthen yourself in the Lord. David, just like David did in 2 Samuel uh, 5 and in 1 Samuel 30, and, and, and it's interesting, even in 1 Samuel 30, as they began to attack uh, David and his mighty men at Ziklag. Ziklag actually means pressing in a way that creates mental anguish. They began to attack, and what did they take from David at Ziklag? They took wives and children. So it was an attack on family. When he was pressed, they began to try to take the foundation of family from his life. And I want to tell you, oftentimes you go through a season of pressing that is trying to separate you from those that you're called to walk with as family. David had to strengthen himself in the Lord. Joseph had to strengthen himself in the Lord. And there is a David worship call on this house. There is a Joseph prophecy stewardship dreamer call on this house. And as you begin to become more and more acquainted with the life and the understanding of David and Joseph, all of a sudden you're gonna begin to have more understanding about what you've walked through to bring you to where you are. Tracy was talking about the ministry of understanding. And it says in Matthew 13, 23, that the good ground, how many of you wanna be good ground? Anybody want to be bad ground? Just want to be that bad ground. Mm, hard. Mm, thorns. Mm. No, we want to be good ground. We want to be fertile. Fertile myrtle, right? No barrenness here. Well, good ground, it says in Matthew 13, 23, the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it and becomes fruitful and produces 30, 60, 100 fold. See, the word is not fruitful until you're beginning to produce according to the promise. And so Joseph in his life, he's like, yeah, I am not producing according to the promise right now. I'm in the pit. I'm in the pit. Well, all of a sudden, these slave traders are coming by. They were the, they were the Ishmaelites and the Midianites. Midian was where they were from. Ishmael was who they were. Ishmael is the son of performance. Isaac is the son of promise. Midian in the Hebrew means brawling, contention, strife, envy, and to sow seeds of discord to bring division in the lives of those around you. Here's what I want you to recognize. It was the sons of performance 
on a mission to divide people from where they were called to be and who they were called to walk with, that not only were the ones that Joseph was sold into bondage with, but ultimately delivered him to the destination of his destiny. The very ones, the, the, the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, the brawling, the contention, the strife, the envy, the sowing of seeds of discord. Let me just get that out of the strongs and into your life. The people who talk crap about you on Facebook. The people that you've laid down your life for, they take all you have to give and then they go and they take from somebody else. I wanna tell you how you begin to respond to those who have wronged you, those who have hurt you, those who, who, who tried to use you for their own purpose. When you keep your heart in the face of those relationships, when you keep it right and you can bless and you can forgive, guess what? That positions you for promotion because your character is being purged in the process. It says in Genesis 37, it was the Midianites that delivered him to Egypt. Now we know as soon as he got delivered to Egypt, there was a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar finds Joseph and he's like, oh man, this, this guy's got a lot going on, hallelujah. I bet I could bring him into my house. I'm a captain of the guards. I could put him over all that I've got and he could steward it well. Why? It said in Genesis 39 that Potiphar recognized that he was prosperous, that Joseph, whatever Joseph did was prosperous. Why? Because the presence of God was with him. The presence of God on your life will always cause you to prosper. And so what happened was he became so prosperous and was such a great steward, Potiphar gave him charge over everything in his house, okay? But one thing that Joseph didn't want, Potiphar's wife. Now, Potiphar's wife, all of a sudden, she's got an eye for Joseph. He was a good-looking guy, okay? Me and Joseph, we got a lot in common. Smart, dreamer. Once dumb, she sees him. She goes after him. She says, come and lay with me. And not only does he say no, but he runs so fast, he leaves his coat behind. He begins to put off the spirit of heaviness. He begins to say, no, no. He begins to put off anything that could look like compromise in his life. And see, what happened was he had to run from the place of compromise. And what happens for so many is when we go back to pick up a, a, a something that we associate as comfort, when we go back and try to pick up something that would make us feel better in the moment, oftentimes it brings us out of our call and into a place of compromise. Because if he had gone back for his coat, guess what? He may not have had as, as strong of a no the next time. And so when compromise begins to knock at your door, the best thing you can do is run. The best thing you can do is get out of Dodge. Well, of course, you know, Potiphar's wife was offended. You know, he didn't respond to her advances. Potiphar gets home. She tells Potiphar and goes, guess what? That Hebrew boy you brought, he's mocking us, tried to take advantage of me. Can you believe such a thing? So Potiphar throws Joseph in prison. And guess what? The favor of God is still on Joseph. The thing that was so amazing was the favor of God on Joseph wasn't connected to his coat. It was connected to his call. And I want to tell you, listen, you are favored by God. You are gifted by God. But many of you are in a place of until. You've been given a word and you're in that place until the word comes to pass. And in that place, your character is being purged. Your character is being refined. It says in Proverbs 25, 4, that when the dross is removed from the silver, the silver is sent to the silversmith to be made into fine jewelry. What is dross? Dross is simply impurities. Dross is anything in us that doesn't look just like Jesus. Because how many of you know, in the process of refining silver, the silversmith, the Lord, is actually looking for his image in us. 
And, and those, things, those things, when we go through situations, whether we find ourselves in the pit, which by the way, it was Judah that got him out of the pit. Why? Because praise will always get you out of a low place. Praise will always get you out of a low place. See, you can't control when the spirit of heaviness comes at you, but you can choose to put on the garment of praise. Amen? And sometimes you gotta make the choice to rejoice and praise when you feel the least like praising. Amen? And so Joseph finds himself in this place. He finds himself in this place where the fire is being turned up. You know, of course, the fire was turned up in Potiphar's. He passed that test. He was promoted from Potiphar's house to prison. Yay! What about glory to glory? That was like glory to gory. He didn't go up. It looked like he went down. So it goes through this place. It goes through this time where all of a sudden it looks like the word of the Lord is not coming to pass. But guess what? He keeps his heart right in the process. He keeps his heart right in the process. He could, have, he could have had unforgiveness in his heart that would have become a root of bitterness that then would have defiled many. You don't find him talking to Potiphar about what his brothers did. You don't find him talking to the prisoners about what Potiphar's wife did, but you see him keeping his gift on. You see him continuing to shine, continuing to be faithful, even in a time of prison. And it said that the prison, the prison guard took note that, that Joseph was, 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 a, was a, a, a wise man, a good man. The favor of God was on him. So Genesis 37, Genesis 39, Genesis 40, you could see this consistent, ever-growing favor that was on Joseph that continued to position him in a place of authority no matter where he found himself. And I wanna tell you, God is wanting to position us in a place of favor so that we can be promoted to begin to rule and reign with Christ, to begin to release his kingdom on the earth. Because how, how many of you know you need influence? You need a gift of influence. You need an opportunity of influence to have impact. Amen? But what was it that called the, caused the favor of God to remain on Joseph? He continued to keep his heart right and continued to forgive those who had wronged him. One of the things that will begin to shut down the favor of God in your life quicker than anything is unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness causes you to become bitter and bitterness all of a sudden becomes a root that defiles many. And instead of living your life to give, you begin to live your life to criticize, to judge, to point the finger and to speak wickedness. And in that place, it says that when you're in that place, you find, your, you find yourself in a place of drought. So Joseph, of course, the baker and the butler, hallelujah, the candlestick maker, everybody's there. The... Uh, he, he interprets these two dreams for the baker and the butler. Uh, and the butler, of course, hey, in three days' time, you're going to be back before the king. You're going to be serving him wine. It's going to be great. You're going to be right back to where you were before everything happened. Hallelujah. And then the baker's like, oh, man, that's awesome. I had a dream. And so he tells him his dream. And Joseph's like, oh, man, yep, three days for you, too. And the baker's like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Three days for me, too? You're going to lose your head. What? He's going to be back where he was. I'm going to be dead. Yep. Kept his gift on, kept serving. All of a sudden, three days pass, Butler loses, Baker loses his head, Butler's promoted back to the palace. Goes into the palace, begins to serve. Joseph says, I'm only asking you to do one thing. Remember me. Don't forget about me, Butler. When you're serving that wine, don't forget about me. Goes into a place of favor. For two years, he forgets about Joseph. For two years, Joseph has to keep his heart right in prison because you never know when the door of favor is gonna open up again. He kept his heart right, like what John was saying today, by just focusing on the goodness of God, thanking God, recognizing that, 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 that what God, that what, what the enemy meant to harm us, God will use for our good. And so then all of a sudden, uh, the pot, uh, Pharaoh has a dream, and as he has a dream, nobody can interpret it, so the butler's like, I remember a guy. 
He interpreted my dream when I was in prison. He told me I'd be right here doing this again, and bless God, he was right. So Pharaoh said, well, go ahead and call him. So they shaved him and dressed him and called him before the king. And Pharaoh told his dream to Joseph. And Joseph's like, oh yeah, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna have seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Here's what you're gonna do. You need to have somebody appoint them over the years of plenty, take a fifth of the grain every year, store it away in a storehouse so that when you come into seven years of famine, you can both provide for your people and you can also sell it for profit. Come on, he was a good Jewish businessman. And so, he's, and, and so Joseph's like, yeah, you just need to have somebody of wisdom and understanding and, and skill. And Pharaoh's like, I don't have anybody like that in my court but you. Joseph wasn't looking for a position. He was looking to serve. He was just looking to be faithful. He wasn't trying to give a word to get a word. He was just trying to be faithful to God. And one of the things you see about Joseph is over the course of that 13 years, he started off saying, look at me. He's 17 years old. He's like, check out my coat. Isn't it awesome? I had a dream that all of you are gonna worship me. He started off his, his, his season of destiny, his journey to his destination, talking about himself. He ends up when Potiphar brings, or when Pharaoh brings him in, asking him, saying, listen, I hear that you've got wisdom and understanding of dreams. Who does he talk about? He said, oh, no, no, no. God has the understanding. If he gives it to me, I can give it to you. The process of the purging of our character, when the dross in us comes to the surface, oftentimes we start out in our dream talking about us, but we end up in our destiny talking about God. The sooner you quit talking about you and the more you start talking about him, the quicker you get into a place of destiny. The more you get your eyes off of this and onto that, all of a sudden you'll see yourself accelerated. You'll see yourself not walking out of the fire, but walking through the fire because you'll always find the fourth man in the fire. The three Hebrew boys, they were called before the king. They were called to bow their knee to a false God. And in in that place, they were not willing to compromise even to their own hurt. And so they were bound, with, they were bound with, uh, with chains. They were bound with leather straps and they were sent into this furnace. And as they were sent into this furnace, it said that not only were they not being burned up, but a fourth man appeared with them in the fire. And it's in that place of fire that you'll always find fellowship. It's in that place of fire that you'll always find a table prepared in the presence of your enemies because the fire brings the dross up, but the fellowship brings it out. And so all of a sudden they see this fourth man in the fire and, and Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh my God, turn it up seven times hotter. Some people think that's bad. I call that acceleration. Acceleration. Is seven the magic number? Is that just like the magic number of scripture? No, it's the number of completion. What it, was, it was a picture for us of walking through fire until we are refined and completely purged, just like Joseph. Joseph had to walk through a purging of his character before he could be placed in a position of authority as, a, as, a, as an earthly steward of heavenly resource and understanding. And I wanna tell you, God is wanting to position you as a steward in the earth, as a father in the earth, as a mother in the earth with access to heaven to transform this earth. And oftentimes it's the purging of our character that moves us from the dream, the great big dream of God to the destiny and the destination that God has, us, has for us. Joseph could have never accomplished his dream in Canaan. His dream came to pass in a land of bondage in Egypt. He had to walk into a place and serve another man's dream. And in serving someone else's dream, guess what? His dream came to pass. And when we recognize where God has planted us in life and the people he's called us to run with in life, all of a sudden, I wanna tell you, one of the keys to seeing your dreams come to pass is serving others and seeing their dreams come to pass first.
Joseph was committed to being faithful with Pharaoh's dream, and because of that, God was faithful with Joseph's dream. So then, of course, you know, the, the, the brothers come, and we know the whole story. Joseph could have never forgiven, he could have never blessed as a father. He told his brothers when they came, he said, I'll become like a father to Pharaoh, guys. It's amazing. He said, what you meant for my harm, God used for my good and he used for your good. He could have never blessed as a father if he had never first forgiven as a son. And as we forgive as a son, saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. We don't try to, try to even the scales. We don't try to get people back for the wrong that they've done for us, but we forgive and become better instead of walking in unforgiveness and becoming better. He was able to be positioned as a father in a, in a, in a, to a pagan king, a carnal influencer. He was given the keys of that man's kingdom. What does God wanna do for you? What destiny does God have to bring you into? What destination is God wanting to move you into? And what are you willing to endure to get there? The promise of God, listen, it may smell like the roses in the, it may smell like roses in the end, but it may smell like fertilizer in between. That's crap. Poop. So you could be walking through a season where you're being fertilized and it may smell terrible. It may feel bad. It may, it may seem dark. But if you can stay committed to the dream and the process, God will not only bring you into the destiny, but he'll also bring you to the destination. But we've got to walk through that fire. That word dross in the Hebrew, that word dross in the Hebrew literally means, it, it means to refuse. It's, it's when God is asking for your, yes, for your yes, you're like, no, no, I don't want to. Dross is that thing in us. You ever have to tell your kids, come here, no. What? <laughs> the dross is anything in you that the enemy can touch in the moment that you're about to break through. The dross Dross means to refuse. It means to say no when God is looking for your yes. Dross is the thing in you that would begin to crack in a time of conflict. It says that when this dross comes out, the root word there that means to refuse means to flinch, to turn back, or to backslide. And it says that when the dross is removed from the silver, the silver sent to the silversmith to be made into what? Jewelry. Jesus said, if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, the finger of God has come near you. And oftentimes it's the fire of God that brings us into a place of freedom, into a place of breakthrough to where we can begin to bring others into a place of breakthrough and freedom. In the area that we break through, we experience freedom and deliverance. We then become an instrument of deliverance to bring others into a place of freedom and breakthrough. And God begins to appoint us and anoint us by his favor and according to his gift to not just have a dream, but to see the dream come to pass in a place called destiny. It also talks about, and you know, the New King James says it's, it's jewelry. Every other translation says vessel. The word vessel there means something prepared. God is shaping you. He is fashioning you in a time of fire. And a lot of times when we hear, when we hear about fire, we're like, oh, bless God, the Holy Ghost and fire. Fire! Fire! Sometimes it's like, oh, fire. I want to tell you, listen, some of you have found yourself in a place called fire. It didn't feel like you thought it would. It didn't look like you hoped it would. And I wanna tell you, listen, if you can keep your heart right and continue to forgive in the midst of the fire, you'll become better in the process. 
Your character will be purged and be made ready for your calling. You'll begin to walk through the oil and the anointing of until. And in and, and the same way that it said the word of the Lord tested Joseph until it came to pass, all of a sudden you'll begin to recognize that when you come through on the other side of that fire, you have been made ready. In Isaiah 54, 16, there's actually verse 17, of course, says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Amen? Everybody loves that, right? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. We misapply it all the time, just to let you know. Just to let you know. We declare, listen, it's kind of like in Philippians 4, 19, you know, when we say, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You got to look at verse 14 through 18 before you can start declaring 19. See, you got to look at the church that Paul is writing to. He's saying, listen, in my time of need, you were the only church that helped me out. You were the only church that partnered with me. The Amplified says, partnered with me in giving and receiving as opening up a debit and credit account with God. That's awesome. How many of you would like God's PIN number? What he was saying is you got God's PIN number because when it was convenient and even when it was inconvenient, you stayed consistent in your financial partnership with me. And because of that, because of your financial faithfulness, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. But I wanna tell you, without our faithfulness, we don't have his favor. Without that, without their willingness to partner in a hard time, they did not position themselves for that glory. The same thing is true when we begin to recognize these, these seasons of fire and these seasons of dross where it's beginning to come up, where it can be a vessel that is shaped for God to where it becomes, to be, becomes something prepared and made ready in the process, an instrument, a, 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 a weapon in the hand of God. And Isaiah 54, 17 has a very similar uh, application. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And it sounds great to say, and we pray it, but you got to look at verse 16 too. It would be good to look at the whole chapter because it starts off in singing in your place of barrenness, not moaning in the wilderness. You see, when you begin to sing in the place where you've not born, all of a sudden you become fruitful in a new land. Because until you begin to sing in the place you've not produced, you don't have the ability to stretch forth your tent stakes and allow others to begin to lengthen and strengthen in your life. Verse 16 there, God is saying, I have made the blacksmith who blows the coal to bring forth an instrument for his work. Amen? And then I've also made the spoiler. So he goes through all of this. And then he says, and no weapon formed against you will prosper. I want to tell you what happens with the blacksmith. What happens in the fire? And this is what happens to so many of you. You're given a dream, and it's an amazing dream. And it looks like just this, this piece of silver, but it's got dross in the beginning because you're just a 17-year-old dreamer. You've not walked through everything else. Your heart hasn't been tested. You haven't walked through the purging of your character. And in that place, where all of a sudden you you're, 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 you're go through the fire and dross is brought up, just like that steel, the, the impurities begin to come out. I had, uh, when I first came to Birmingham, um, we had an archbishop of the Charismatic Episcopal uh, denomination. He oversees like 150 Charismatic Episcopal churches in the Southeast and he came over to give me a prophetic word and, and this was the prophetic word. First time I met him, I opened up the door, he's in his full Episcopal outfit, driving a little black, black caddy out there, hallelujah. And I said, yes, sir, can I help you? He said, the Lord sent me to tell you the Coke is almost cooked. I said, what? As a former drug dealer, I had questions. (laughs) 
He said, yeah, he said, I used to work in the steel industry. And he goes, and, and, and you know, coal is called coke. And it's the cooking of the coke until it's made pure by the process to where all of a sudden it becomes impenetrable and it can stand the test of time and last forever. And he said, what God brought you here was to lead a people through the fire. They were not willing to walk through in times past because when you see the fire of God has shown up in other cities in times past, the fire came and the fire left. And the truth was there was wood, hay, and stubble that was burned up in the process. And when the fire left, there was very little left to work with. That's why so many, we were talking about this today in our meeting, so many places where God has moved and all of a sudden the church is left weaker after the move. That wasn't because of the move. It was because when the, when, when the foundation was tested by fire, there wasn't a whole lot of Lord in the mix. And he said, what you've come here for is to, to lead a people into a place to where there would no longer be wood, hay and stubble, but only precious stones and jewels. The Coke is almost cooked. And it was interesting because it was on a Wednesday and that Friday night, man of steel was coming out. And so what he was speaking to, he was speaking to the process of dross coming out of a city. He was speaking to the process of, of us as individuals and a collective family walking through a place called fire. And I wanna tell you, forgiveness is one of the things that will keep you walking through the fire and bring you through better on the other side. Until, I wanna pray for you if you found yourself in a place called Until. If you're here tonight, and, and I know we've gone a, a little bit over, but um, we're, we're gonna receive the offering in a moment, and I've got, I've got two more things I wanna say to you, but I couldn't say these things to you until we first recognize this area called until that so many of us find ourselves in, where we've been given a dream, and we know we've got a destiny, and we're living somewhere in between. If you found yourself in that place, whether you found yourself in the pit you found yourself in Potiphar's house, you found yourself in the prison or even in the palace, but you've not yet seen your dream fully come to pass. I want you to stand up right now. I'm gonna pray for you. Because I wanna tell you, Joseph could have never gotten to the palace without walking through the prison. He could have never gotten to the prison without being falsely accused in Potiphar's house. He could have never found his way into Potiphar's house if he had not been thrown in the pit. Every part of your process is necessary to get you where you're called to go. Here's my prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would give each and every person here the resolve to not quit in Jesus' name. I release to you now the grace to walk through what you've wanted to walk out of. I release to you now the vision of life on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death. I speak right now that in your time of fire, you're about to recognize a new season of the nearness of God and fellowship, that you're gonna allow the dross in you to come fully to the surface so that you're a vessel made ready. You're, a, you're a, an instrument of deliverance. You're an instrument of freedom because when it said the blacksmith made the, made the blue in the coal and made an instrument for his, his righteousness, I wanna tell you, you're the one. You're the instrument for his work that he's been making. You're the one that the blacksmith has been blowing in the coals for because it's only when he begins to take the sword out of the fire and begin to hold it up and see his image in that sword that he can declare over you that no weapon formed against you will prosper. 
When he is speaking that over you, what he is speaking is he's speaking to the solidarity of your life. He's speaking to the consistency from start to finish. He's speaking to who you are from the inside out, that when you begin to clash with the works of darkness, with the kingdom of God's light, that there'd be nothing in you that could crack or become broken in that day. But in that day, he could declare over you that no weapon formed against you would prosper because you in that moment become a sword in the hand of the Lord. It says in Zechariah 9, 12, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. How many of you have felt like prisoners of hope? He said, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. He said, even today, I declare that I will restore double, 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 double for your trouble. Double, double, double. And then he goes on to say that you've bent Judah your bow, you begin to put your praise into action and you fitted it with the arrow of Ephraim. The arrow of Ephraim is double fruitfulness. Ephraim means double fruitfulness. That means that you become more fruitful than you would have been before the fire. That means that, that all of a sudden you become more blessed than you would have been before you come into the prison. But the key is to not let go of the hope in the hard times. Romans 15, 13, we're introduced to one of the names of God. It's the God of hope. And this is what the God of hope will do for you. He says he'll fill you with all joy and all peace and believing again that you would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, there is an oil of until here tonight to begin to cause the hope in your heart to come to a whole nother level. Areas where the fire of hope in your heart has grown dim and begin to flicker. God is wanting to begin to fan that flame of hope to where it be a hope that does not disappoint. Romans 5, 5 says there's a hope that does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He's wanting to bring you into a place called abundant life and that place where the enemy has tried to steal, kill, and destroy. It's in that place that Jesus is saying, look at me, I want to bring you into abundant life. It's in that place where it looks like the enemy has tried to take, to try to destroy, to try to bring you into a bad place. That's the very place that Jesus is wanting to show up with the now abundant abundant life. But first we have to catch the thief to see the sevenfold recompense. First we have to catch the lie. First we have to catch the thought in us that was offended when somebody wronged us, when somebody didn't give us the the credit that we were due, when somebody didn't make room for us and they didn't cater to our personal preference and now need. Because I want to tell you, listen, oftentimes the very opportunities you have in your life to become offended are either an opportunity to move back or to move forward. When you say, you know, I'm not going to allow my heart to grow cold. I'm not going to allow my love to grow dim, but I'm going to stay in forgiveness. I'm going to stay in, I'm going to continue to bless this person. I'm going to forgive as the son so I can bless as a father. It is in that place that all of a sudden the hope of our heart begins to grow and faith has something to work with. Right now, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Proverbs 13, 12 says, when hope, says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. It doesn't say when what you hoped for took longer than you thought it would. That's how people have taught that. That's wrong. Defer means to put off. The prob- this, is what, this is what he's saying, is when you take hope and you put it off, your heart becomes sick. Why? Because hope is the source of life for your heart. When you take hope and you say, I don't want to get my hopes up because if I get my hopes up, I might get disappointed. And you say, you know, I'm going to just lay that whole hope thing aside and come over here. Guess what? Your heart becomes sick because it no longer has life. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And most people are living on the wrong side of their butt. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. What side of the butt are you living on? 
Are you living on the side where you're, you're looking at what's not? Or are you looking on the side recognizing what is? Proverbs 13, 12 says this in the Passion Translation. He says, when hope's dream seems to drag on and on, the delay can be depressing. It doesn't say it will be because that's a choice. As a Christian, we have no right to be depressed. Guess what? Stuff happens. Stuff happens, right? You can sit down if you want to. I'm gonna say two more things. I've already gone over my time, so I might as well really go for it. Hallelujah. <laughs> I told Anne Marie, I said, let's try that whole timer thing. Nope. Because I feel like I've been having to hold back instead of really let loose. Hallelujah. Might have to undo my belt. <laughs> Breathe a little bit. I want to tell you, listen, God is wanting to bring to life in you the things that have had the appearance of death. But he's looking for your yes. He's saying, are you willing to believe again? Again, as a Christian, we have no right to be discouraged. The word encouraged means to pour into the heart and the greatest hope, hope that has ever been given has been poured into our heart. Any area you feel discouraged or disappointed, you actually you recognize an area you're eating fruit from the wrong tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're, you're eating from a tree of what you see and not a tree of what he says. Jesus is the tree of life. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by what he says and not by what we see. Amen. And so in any area of your life, you find yourself discouraged, disappointed, or depressed in that area you believed a lie. I'm telling you, listen, I thank God for counselors. Everyone should have one. Amen? But I want to tell you, you should never be in a place where you have believed a lie to the extent that you no longer want to live. It is a spirit. It is not a chemical. It is a spirit at work behind a chemical. Are you with me? Can I just go somewhere? Hallelujah. Sure. Why not? I, I leave tomorrow. You can't medicate anxiety. You can only repent of it. Philippians chapter four says, be anxious for nothing, but all things with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God with thanksgiving. Guess what? Thanksgiving is a whole lot better than Xanax. You know what happens? Thanksgiving will cause the peace of God to guard your heart and your mind. Xanax will just cause your heart and your mind to become numb to the world around you. Medication actually causes you to become a leper in society because what happens is not only do you feel as an outcast, but you become numb to those around you. That's the definition of leprosy. Leprosy was not a flesh-eating disease. It was a, a disease that caused you to no longer be sensitive to your surroundings. And what happened was the flesh would be eaten by the rats at night because they would no longer be awoken to the fact that a rat was eating their ear off because they could no longer feel the pain. And how many of us have become numb to the pain of life because of our past to where now we no longer can acknowledge a present hurt to be healed in the future? You know why? Two thieves in your life. Jesus was crucified where? Golgotha. What does it mean? Place of the skull, right? Right there. And guess what? Jesus took up a cross. This is where your cross to be taken up rests. This is where you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Two thieves. One was in bondage to the burden of where they had been. All he talked about was what they had done and how worthy of death they were. The other was yoked in a wrong way to the future, worried about what would be. One was talking about just how terrible his prison record was and his resume in life. The other is over here pleading 
when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? What did Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. The greatest thieves in the believer's life is yesterday and tomorrow. Yesterday is the burden. Tomorrow is the yoke. But the anointing will set you free from both. Isaiah 10, 27 says it'll come to pass in that day, and I believe that day is this day. May the fourth be with you. I've been waiting all day to say that. (laughs) This day. I'm telling you, Star Wars is amazing. Number one, they modeled Yoda after Bob Jones. (laughs) Two, the whole concept of the force is the anointing. Amen. You know, both, both Yoda was modeled after Bob Jones and the turtle in Kung Fu Panda. For real. Right? Turtle had great wisdom, even with the two thieves. What did he say? Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That is why it's called the present. That's good wisdom, turtle man. And what happens is oftentimes we miss out on the gift of being, the gift of the present because of regret, guilt, and shame that causes us to live in a place of insecurity and fear. Take it back to the garden. Eve eats the fruit, gets Adam to take a bite. I'm not even gonna get into all of that, but a lot there we could look at. What I want you to see is the thing that they ended up finding themselves hiding behind because it's the thing that we often find ourselves hiding behind as well. So they made for, they, they saw themselves as naked. Why? Because their eyes got on them when they ate from the wrong tree. You see, when you're eating from the wrong tree here, you can always tell when you're eating fruit from the wrong tree, when you're meditating on the wrong thoughts and you're pondering in a way that's bringing you to the wrong place is because it causes your eyes to get on you and not on him. When you become self-centered in your thought process, when it's about you, that is evidence you've eaten fruit from the wrong tree. So Adam and Eve make what? Coverings out of fig leaves. It's an acronym. Fear, insecurity, guilt. And to this day, when we begin to think in a wrong way, come into burden to what's been, begin to worry about what will be, we all of a sudden begin to hide from God behind fear. We become insecure about the future and guilty about what's been. And we come out of fellowship. Why? Because the fire will bring the dross up, but the fellowship will bring it out. Does this make sense? When you begin to catch those thoughts, then all of a sudden there's recompense. Then all of a sudden there's payback. All of a sudden there is restitution in our life. Let me finish reading Proverbs 13 here. Proverbs 13, again, verse 12. When hope's dreams seem to drag on and on, the delay can be depressing. But when at last your dream comes true, life's sweetness will satisfy your soul. And here's what I want to tell you. God's word will accomplish what he sent it to do. It won't return to him void. The thing is in us is to continue to allow the fire to have its work to continue to deny ourselves, take up our cross, not allow yesterday or tomorrow to have a voice in today. Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow, right? Why? Because worry means to divide your heart. He said, when you seek me and you search for me with your whole heart, you'll find me. God wants your heart whole. Until our heart is whole, we really can't walk in the fullness of our promise. We can only walk in a portion and a measure. 
And the body of Christ cannot fulfill our destiny walking in a measure of his promise. We need the whole enchilada. We can't just be walking around with the chips and salsa. We need the full manifestation of what God has promised each and every one of us. And in that place, God is saying, listen, when you'll stay in a place of forgiveness, you'll stay in a place of favor. When you stay in a place of favor, you're, you're, you're positioned to bless those around you, to serve with your gift, and to make a way for others to enter into their call. Does that make sense? And so tonight has been more of like a, a pastoral pruning prophetic message. It's been more about the thing in us that God is wanting right so that he can bring us into that place called promise, so that we can walk through the fire, so he can hold us up as that sword going, no weapon formed against you shall prosper because you've walked through the fire. Every potential for crack, every potential for, for, for fraction or fissure in you, every potential for the enemy to touch you in a wrong way and cause you to react in a wrong spirit is burnt out. Why? Because you walk through the fire. How many of you have been in a season where you feel like you've been in the fire? Don't walk out, walk through. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Here's a grace called today. 2 Corinthians 6 2 says, Today is the day of God's favor. And the Amplified. I just want to wait on the Lord for a minute. God, bring that fire. Lord, anything in us that doesn't look just like you, take it out in Jesus' name. Anything in us that doesn't look just like you, take it out in Jesus' name. Open up the door of your heart to his fire. Whatever that looks like for you, from you, to him right now, whatever it looks like to become his fireplace, to become the place of his burning, in Luke 24, it talked about two men on the road to Emmaus and how Jesus preached himself to them. What an amazing message. But it said that their eyes were constrained where they couldn't recognize him as the Lord. And oftentimes the Lord will show up in a situation in a way that it doesn't look like him. And we don't know it until the bread has been broken. But as Jesus sat with him at the table and he blessed the bread and he broke it, their eyes were open and they knew him. And then all of a sudden they said, did not our heart burn within us when he spoke? Some of you have lost that burning in your heart at the sound of his voice. And my prayer is that the, that, that burning heart, that burning heart will be rekindled in you tonight. It doesn't come by a prophetic word or a, a prayer I could pray. It comes by you being available to his fire. It comes by you saying, God, I want my calling more than I want my comfort. I want what you have for me. whether I'm in the pit, whether I've been falsely accused, I've been delivered by the Midianites, the Ishmaelites. I feel like I've been in prison. 
or I'm in a place called the palace. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep your heart encouraged. Keep your heart encouraged. Put on the garment of praise. See what happens so often. I, we were speaking to this earlier. So often when all of a sudden, li- when life begins to speak louder than truth, we run to an easy fix instead of running to the throne of grace. And that place, I want to tell you, listen, last Tuesday I felt something coming against the body and it was all of a sudden, out of the blue, discouragement and, depre- discouragement and um, disappointment that would cause people to feel depressed. And that was when I really got on the front foot of this thing saying, listen, you can't do this. People cannot have, allow this to happen. How many of you last week, it was like all of a sudden you just got hit out of the blue with depression, discouragement, and disappointment? Hear me when I say this. It wasn't you. It was a spirit. Isaiah 61 says the spirit of heaviness will come against you. In that place, you have to put on the garment of praise. Because when that thing hits you, guess who your eyes get on? You. Guess what praise does? It gets your eyes off of you and onto him. It's in the place that we make the choice to rejoice that all of a sudden we walk into a place called joy unspeakable where we begin to overflow with the glory of God in a way that transforms cities, states, and nations. If you got hit with that out of the blue, all of a sudden discouragement and disappointment, one of the ways that you can tell it's a spirit is because your life didn't change when your emotions did. Nothing was taken from you, although you felt the feeling of loss. That's when you can tell it's a spirit. And that moment, guess what? You've identified a thief that is to be caught so that he can pay back sevenfold even out of his own house. The enemy always attacks the loudest right at the moment of your breakthrough. And I'm here to announce to you that now is time to walk in the oil of until because you're closer to your destiny than you thought. I tell you without a shadow of a doubt that you're closer today than you were yesterday. The only thing that can cause you to go back is being more committed to living in yesterday than today. Does this make sense? God, come and burn in us. Lord, if you're looking for a place to start a fire, start in us. If you're looking for a place to start a fire, start in us. Fire will always bring you into freedom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. How many of you feel like you saw some things tonight that you didn't see before? Listen, if I've done anything, my prayer is that I've awakened you like Zechariah was awakened when the angel came and he began to see things different, recognizing it wasn't according to his might or his power, but by his spirit. Your dream, listen, God is committed to bring your dream to pass, but you've got to be committed to your process. If you'll own your process, he'll provide his promise every time. Does that make sense? Amen. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.